The following podcast is brought to you by Babe Media. I'm Emma Clark. And I'm Kelsey Burdett. You know those people you follow that just seem to get it? They have the Instagram content that you actually watch. They own the brands that you just can't stop buying from. And they tell the stories you actually remember. The kinds of people that leave you wondering, how do they do that? Well, we follow them too. And we have the exact same question. Join us as we interview the people that leave us thinking, oh, they get it. Hello, everybody. How are we doing today? I hope everyone's having a great day, whatever day you're listening to this on. Um, So today we've got a new episode with Jamie Jenkins and Jessica Stevenson. They are the founders of Everest. And Everest is one of those brands that I feel like is very aligned with They Get It and the types of people we want to talk to. Um, So first of all, they're super innovative. What they have is a waterless shampoo concentrate um, that you basically mix in with your water in the shower. It turns into a shampoo. And they did this because shampoo and conditioner are mostly water. And they, that takes a lot of plastic to house that mostly water. Um, and so they knew there was a better option that was going to be more eco-friendly and still effective. Um, and that's what led them to launch Everest. They launched about a year ago and they have done incredibly well since then. They won t- one of Time's Best Inventions of 2021 from Vogue. They won one of 2021's Best New Sustainable Beauty Products. They've been in Forbes, Pop Sugar, Elle. You've probably seen them everywhere. Um, And I think that's a testament to how much time they put into developing a really innovative product that works. No kidding. And I I just want to read one other thing it says on their website. So they say, we're not here to judge and we're certainly not perfect. We just want to make it easier for you to live a little lighter. That is ethos. You can tell both Jamie and Jess feel so thoroughly to their core and I think it can be so overwhelming sometimes with these eco-friendly brands because first of all, you question the actual product and how good it is. And if you look at their reviews and what they're earning and winning and all this stuff, you know the product's good, but they're also not going to beat you over the head with this sustainability message. If that resonates for you and if you want to do a little bit better, amazing. They'll welcome you with open arms, but I just, I love this messaging. It's so inclusive. So inclusive. And yeah, I think over the past year and a bit, we've been doing the podcast. Obviously we've tried many of the brands that we've had on, if not all of them at this point. Um, And what I love about it is that they're products I like to use. I don't have to think about it. It just replaces whatever I was using before that wasn't as eco-friendly or as clean. Um, And it's just a simple lifestyle shift. And once you've got that, you're not thinking about it anymore. You still have the need of the product, but now you're just using something that's eco-friendly. And I think it just makes me feel good when I use these products because I'm like, okay, I'm not damaging the environment more than I need to. I'm supporting a female-founded business. I'm not supporting these massive conglomerates of old white dudes. Um, And so I don't know. There's something to be said for for these types of brands. And I just, I love talking to them. Should we get into it? Let's do it. Welcome back to another episode. Today we have Jamie Jenkins and Jessica Stevenson with us. They are the founders of Everest. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks Thanks for having us. We're excited to chat. So as we always do to start off our episodes, tell us a little bit about what Everest is and how it came to be. Sure. So Everest is a a beauty company for eco-optimists. 
Um, so Jess and I are longtime friends. We did, you know, a long time in big beauty, about a decade each at, you know, some of the biggies, the L'Oreal's and the Revlon's. And we, you know, saw the consumer demand for, you know, products that were really sustainable in terms of, you know, single use plastic and people being really conscientious about the ingredients of their products. And, you know, we, you know, decided that we wanted to pair up and, you know, think about what the future of the beauty industry could look like and think about if we could create, you know, um, a product that would really transform, you know, how people use beauty products in the future. So that kind of led us on a long journey of discovery to, launched the product we launched just a year ago, which is the first um, patent pending waterless concentrates for, for hair and for body. So a shampoo concentrate, a conditioner concentrate, and most recently a body wash concentrate, um, which are really unique and, and innovative in the market. Yeah, and I guess I can just add, yeah, just a little bit about that journey um, in terms of how we got inspired about the waterless trend. I think for us, you know, that inspiration really came, we actually saw it in the home cleaning industry first. Um, and how, you know, cleaning products serve 70, 80, 90% water and almost always in single use plastic, same as, you know, beauty products. Um, and also, you know, thinking about the shower, right? You have shampoos, conditioners also with heavy amounts of water um, shipping around the world, and then you're using them in the water of your shower. So this just did not make sense to us. Um, and so we really were focused on trying to find a solution that was as close as possible to what people were already used to. Um, and so that's actually how we came up with the paste format. So the idea is that you use the paste and it's quickly transforms with the water in your shower into that, you know, sensorial lather experience that you just love from beauty products. Um, and we really believe that for people to, you know, to move to eco products, they need to feel like an upgrade. And so that was really our focus was to find, you know, these eco upgrades um, that have that sensorial experience and you just feel really good about using them. But in the end, you also have great hair, great skin, um, and you just want to keep coming back. Yeah, I mean, your product is super innovative and it's crazy how much press and awards you've gotten. And literally, it's been, what, a year since you launched? It's been yeah. a year, yeah. And in our first year, you know, we won um, being one of Time's Best Inventions. We won a ton of, you know, really great beauty awards. Elle, Green Stars, Pop Sugar, Cosmo, Holy Grail, Men's Health. Um, we were just announced actually today as one of Fast Company's most innovative companies. Um, so mm -hmm. lots of... Um, interest in you know the innovation i think people are really excited to see innovation with sustainability in mind and and people really pushing you know hard in that space and trying to bring something really game-changing and disruptive to the market but yeah i actually i want to go back to your corporate experience because this is very interesting to me um anecdotally i don't see a lot of people coming from big beauty and making the transition to ddc very well, it's completely different worlds, right? The the mentality, the like go-to-market strategy is completely different. Talk to me about how you guys have had to relearn how to think about beauty because of now making that big jump. Yeah. I mean, I think it's a great question. Um, I'd actually say that having that big beauty experience was really helpful. And um, I think, you know, we really understand how, you know, you bring up a beauty brand to market, what the structures and like the things that need to be in place to be able to scale a business. And I think having that sort of rigor behind us um, allows us to actually, I think, be faster and more um, and successful moving into this world. But I would also say we needed to like rip some of those things off and mm -hmm. say, you know, you know, in this world, obviously part of the advantage is being able to have speed to market and do things differently and really like roll up your sleeves. You know, we came from 
big teams and big budgets and now, you know, being scrappy and, you know, getting in. And I think that's something that I actually like love about the entrepreneurship world is that you get to try things and do things and really listen to your customer and your community in real time and then be able to make those changes. And so um, for us, I think it's been a really rewarding journey. And I think just, you know, be able to build something that can leave a lasting impact um, is, is great. Oh my gosh. The motivation game is so different, isn't it? Right. When you can see things moving that quickly, it's hard not to get fired up. So now I have another question for you. Everyone always talks about how the D2C Mm -hmm. world is like you leave your full time job to get a 24 seven job. What does your work life balance look like? Oh, my God. That's a crazy one. I feel like I saw a meme on this recently, which was like, who wants to work like nine to five at a desk when you can work 24 seven all the time for yourself, (laughs) which is like pretty accurate. Um, yeah, so that's been like a bit of a journey, but I think, you know, the nice thing about working on this business is, you know, we, first of all, we love beauty and also we're just like incredibly passionate about the mission of Everest, which is to, you know, prove that eco can really be for everybody. Like we can all love eco products. We have to in 2022 and beyond, we all kind of need to get there. So, um, we're really motivated by that piece and that keeps us going when, you know, there's lots of late nights and also lots of twists and turns. I think we decided to jump full-time into Everest um, in January, 2020. So right before COVID hit, um, I have two little kids at home, you know, Jess has lots of crazy stuff going on in her <laughs> life as well. So it's been, you know, quite the journey going through COVID and, you know, lots of supply chain challenges as we scale up, but um, it's been, you know, trial by fire. And I think we've been able to learn so quickly and also have tapped into an incredible community of other founders mm-hmm. that I think has been, for me personally, has been game changing. I think just being able to, you know, hear other people's stories and relate on that level has given us so much energy um, and really encouraged us to kind of push through some of those hard times. Yeah, it is just such an exciting space to be in right now. I think. The consumer is more interested in buying these types of products and there is more of that ecosystem now, which is so exciting. And it's actually that you can have both. You know, I feel like it used to be at least the Mm -hmm. sentiment in the market was that if you're doing something more eco-conscious, it's not going to perform the same way. And I think that that's now shifting, which is so exciting. Um, Okay, so you said you decided to go in on this full time January 2020. Talk me through what those like first things you were doing um, to get this off the ground? What did, what, what did the really early days look like? Mm-hmm. That's a, it's a good question. So, I mean, I would say like, you know, January 2020 is probably like full time, although we were definitely working on this uh, prior to that as well. So I think laying the groundwork and um, it's been a few years. And I think for us, especially because we were working on something that was truly innovative and novel. So for us, a lot of those early days, I would say even pre that January was around, you know, looking at to- so many different concepts and trying to really find something that we felt was, you know, performance led, that was convenient enough, um, you know, scalable business, etc. And so we went through tons of different ideas before we landed on the, you know, waterless pace concept. And so I'd say those early days was like, a lot of testing and like if you want to hear some like funny stories too you know i mean when we first got even inspired by um what's happening in the home cleaning space you know when you look at kind of cool brands that were popping up like blue land it was a lot about you know right it's like the solid powders you like mix at home with water so like we tried some of that (laughs) in like shampoos for instance and yeah it does not work so well you basically just 
have an explosion right. of like bubbles. <laughs> um, yeah. So it's really not um, easy. And I would say, so I think for us, that was um, obviously a learning curve and really trying to get to something of like, oh, okay, why do we need to add water? Again, that's an extra step we're asking the customer to do. Why don't we just mm. make it a concentrated pace and just use the water you're already. So having these like aha yeah. moments like along the way um, was really kind of helpful. Um, but in those early days, I'd say then once we got onto the product, there was a lot of like convincing a lab that this was doable and, you know, mm. finding that like right partner because when you're doing something novel, you get a lot yeah. of pushback, right? You get people mm -hmm. saying like, no, that can't be done. And so um, I think for us, you know, finding the right partners that said, yes, let's, let's try this, let's jump in. Um, and then, you know, once we had the product, it was going through lots of different stages to try to make sure like, not only the formulation's amazing, but there's like packaging compatibility. Mm -hmm. And we had, you know, products that the you know concentrate was too thick and it was hard to get out of the tube and you know we're like okay so I think you know having all those learnings on the way to get to a final product in hand where you're like wow like this was this is really great and rewarding and then getting customer feedback um, has been amazing and then of course beyond the product there's just all the how do you scale the business right how do you build a whole solid foundation around it um, to be able to do that. Oh, just that. Ways. Just so, building a yeah, whole foundation a of a business. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. Like, no big deal. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Do you know, what am I one of my favorite questions we ask so many people, like we see the version that made it to market. What were all the versions we missed ahead of time? And so I love the idea of trial and erroring, oh right? Like the adding water at home. Um, did we ever deviate from the hair space? That's... That's such a good question. And I love that you asked that question because I think yeah, uh, when we kind of got onto the water list, it was pretty obvious that like shower was a good place to start because like shower products you're using in water, they're pretty much all water. Mm -hmm. They're in single use plastic bottles. So you're shipping bottles of water around the world more or less. So we were pretty like set on that one. Although we do have a lot of innovation in the works in other beauty categories, we always want to be really tuned into our customer and what their needs are and what they're looking for and have things kind of in the works because the development cycle is pretty long. It's like 18 months, usually two years to get that product really refined. Um, but I love that question about like all the things that didn't make it because really like I think one of the things, you know, from the outside, it looks like, you know, everything kind of lined up so nicely. But I think what how we approached it and you know this wasn't always intentional but kind of you know a lot of happy accidents along the way but that design thinking approach of like okay we have a problem you know how do you do beauty without single-use plastic what does that even look like and then it was like try and fail and try and fail and try and fail a whole bunch of different things so as Jess said before we even got to waterless it was like is it a retail refillery is it a milkman model is it a shampoo bar is it a you know what I mean and then it kind of just kept cycling and cycling and refining and refining until we got finally something that we were happy with. But, you know, there was lots of different steps and stages along the way that, you know, don't often get seen because they're behind the scenes, but yeah. it wasn't always so easily, you know, communicated from the beginning. It was definitely a long journey. Yeah. And I think, like you said, it is so important to emphasize that because if I've noticed one theme with all the entrepreneurs we've talked to, it's that there were so many things that did not work. And I think <laughs> a lot of people maybe they try something and it doesn't work. So then they're like, okay, it doesn't work, whatever. And they move on. But I think so much of being an entrepreneur is just keeping that persistence. Was there ever a point during all of these different trials that you were like, eh, maybe we should leave it? 
like maybe there's not something here uh, or was it once you decided you were going for it and you're figuring it out I don't think that for me you could speak to your point Jess but I don't for me it was never like a walk away we knew we had to make it work but there was a couple times I think one of them that Jess mentioned were like the compatibility of the paste and the aluminum tubes that we wanted to use instead of plastic tubes they just weren't working together um where we needed like I needed to take a break <laughs> I was like I need a couple days to just like come back to this and like rest and like approach it with a clear head. Cause you get, you can get so, you know, discouraged when you you know put so much energy into something and it's hard to make work. But I think, you know, coming back to speaking about what doesn't work, it's really, you know, it's easy to speak about it now because we're past that stage and we've got a product that we're really happy with to market, but people often don't, you know, shed the light on that as they're going through it. It's kind of a, a retrospective look where you can kind of laugh at these things, but in the moment, obviously you feel defeated and you need to kind of take a little bit of time and then circle back to it. Yeah. Yeah. I would say I'm same. I mean, I'd say like, I think to your point though, about like having that sense of like perseverance and resilience is pretty key. So like, there's going to be so many like highs and lows, like entrepreneurship is, is full of like roller coaster ride. And these things can happen like all in the same day. You can be on the biggest high and have the lowest low. So I think it's just having that perseverance and resilience to be like, really tied I'd say for us because we are really tied to like our mission and like really you know I really believe in like the whole idea of companies and like profit with purpose and like having being driven by that and really having an impact um I think we always knew we wanted to do and it was just a matter like as Jamie said about like the design thinking because we weren't so stuck on really what the end product was going to be or like how that was going to go to market it really could have been like a bunch of different things. Um, I think that allowed us to be like flexible kind of in our thinking and really move forward um, probably faster or just just more nimble. Um, and it didn't really feel always like a full barrier because we had like a bunch of different like ideas in place spinning at the same time. Um, so we didn't really put like everything into like one basket. As you could yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. So important. I have two questions I want to ask you. The first one kind of ties into the second one. If you guys were to describe your dynamic between the two of you, what would you tell me? Like personality wise? Like we're like a, a married couple. <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> oh, yeah. I have, I, have two, I have two partners. <laughs> yeah. In my life. <laughs> I would say I heard something recently that I think like resonates. I don't think I've shared this with you, Jess, but I I heard something on a podcast that was like, there's certain, there's certain types of people. There's people that are islands and like very steady. And there's people that are like waves. And I would say like, Jess is probably the island. (laughs) and I'm probably the waves, like picking up on things, you know, being perceptive. And I think Jess is like very focused and like steady on, on where we're headed. And I think the fact that we, you know, are so it's like a marriage the fact that we're so different and like how we approach and think about things but also that we're kind of united and you know what we're trying to do together and the business we want to build I think is very complimentary (laughs) yeah that's I have not heard that one said too but yes I I can see how that makes sense but yeah I think you know our I guess personalities etc have really worked well together and just be able to like we, we were friends first too so I think you know we went to business school together etc so we have that you know foundation um and then I think we just tried to set you know at the beginning you know clear sort of roles and responsibilities even though we totally overlap and everything is like all hands on deck but just having to have that clear like who can have veto if we need to which we actually have not really had to use um which is amazing and just you know um, but always being going back, yeah, to the vision, to the mission, 
um, we're both pretty driven. So I think, you know, we have, we had to be flexible, obviously, like we launched a business in a pandemic. As Jamie said, she has kids at home. Like I have these things happening too. And so being able to be flexible with each other, but knowing that we're like both really committed, um, has just made it really, I guess, work. Um, and I think, yeah, we've now built a good foundation. Obviously we had some like, you know, learnings, um, working together and, and learning cause it's like, you know, each mm-hmm. other as friends, but then this, I would say, you know, obviously now it's like a whole nother level. Right. So, um, that's been a really fun. Oh my gosh. Journey. This feels like a mirror. Hey, am like we we say so many of the yeah, same things. We did a podcast a year in review, so we're just over a year old too. Um, yeah, I just feel like you guys. It's so funny hearing this back, but we we always said the same things. Why would we um, duplicate our efforts when we can divide and conquer? And it sounds so clear when you say it like that, right? intellectually you get it, and yeah. then you get into real life, and you're like, I do not want to make this call on my own, and then suddenly you end up collaborating on just about every task but you find your way don't you Mm -hmm. slowly but surely totally you do yeah but it's really nice like to go through this journey yeah like with somebody right because you can bounce off those ideas and yes you can divide and conquer but I think it would be difficult you know to not have that partner I think especially in this sort of like remote world where you're not with teams and this and that I think it's just been really nice to have that partner as you said you can bounce off ideas you can make decisions quickly and then you just move but uh um yeah it would be it'd be different I definitely be different if you know the for the solo entrepreneurs out there oh my gosh I it that's a whole other ball game I mean entrepreneurship is tough no matter what mm-hmm. but I also think just having someone to hold you accountable in those early days when it totally. is still just an idea and you're trying to figure out if it's viable I think not having someone to be in the trenches with you I think I would just be like eh, I was totally <laughs> I, for yeah. me that's I think an, been an important one like obviously we value relationships with each other and with other people and I just wouldn't want to let Jess down and I'm sure she feels the same way so I think that's kept us going in you know a lot of Mm -hmm. the hard times totally it's actually funny so me and Kelsey have been wanting to record an episode on the book the e-myth I'm not sure if you've read it no but I need to okay well we'll have an episode out soon that you can listen to. okay but anyway so I got into Toronto on Sunday and me and Kelsey were planning on recording the episode that night and I was like I have not cracked the book open yet so I got onto the plane and I read it from start to finish that whole plane ride because I was like I don't want to disappoint Kelsey <laughs> and so there you go sometimes you just need someone Perfect. to hold you accountable that's it totally agree um pivoting a little bit something that I found interesting when I was researching you um is that you really leaned into PR as part of your like go to market and and getting your message out there can you talk a little bit about why that was such a priority for you in your launch totally that was our probably our biggest marketing investment when we launched we you know started working from the very beginning with a great you know team of PR partners, freelancers that we know, you know, kind of from our past beauty lives. And um, we knew that would be really important because we were working on this like first to market innovation, which is, you know, the waterless concentrate, the waterless pace. So the way that we saw it was we had, you know, something new and different and we had to try as hard as we could to protect it. So there was like two ways for us to do that. One way was filing a patent. So our, our innovation is patent pending. Um, right now. But then the other way was to really like make a lot of noise about the launch and kind of carve out, you know, 
the ownership of it and, and just bring awareness that Everest was kind of the first to market. So we did, you know, start working with that team from the beginning. We did invest um, in PR for our launch. And I think it's really helped establish the brand. It's helped us secure some great retail partners as well. You know, within our first few months, we opened in the U.S. at Credo Beauty, who's been a wonderful partner. We have a lot of other exciting openings happening in the next couple months as well. Um, so I think it's really it's really paid off. It's different than, you know, a lot of other digital marketing where it's really easy to like track return on investment. But, you know, we're at the end of the day, we're brand builders. Like that's kind of our background. We realized the importance of, you know, building a brand, which is why we invested so much in you know the brand before we launched and the, the PR storytelling, because we do think that's you know so important for a modern brand. And even actually coming back to your earlier point, I think that's an interesting place to come from, you know, a corporate background and to go, you know, into entrepreneurship because, you know, on the corporate side, you have all of these like resources and, you know, tools and people to create a beautiful brand. And I think sometimes what can be a barrier for people coming from corporate and then jumping into entrepreneurship is you kind of like know what good looks like, but then you don't have the resources always to like do it that way <laughs> from the beginning. So I can remember like when we launched Everest, we had done an investment in like developing the brand, but kind of in that in-between period where we're doing it ourselves and we're like crafting that, you know, it's hard because you, you know how you want things to be. Even on the product side, you know what good looks like. And when you're starting something new, you're never going to be good at it. You have to kind of like find your way. So getting through that like middle phase of like, just doing it anyway and keep going forward, I think, was a, for me one of the biggest challenges and why it had been hard for me to start things in the past because, you know, pushing through, you know, that beginning of being new at something and having to learn was always really hard. But that's where the, the accountability piece really helped. Yeah. Thankful for our island. Hey, Jess. <laughs> totally. <laughs> I'm curious, like when you when you take a PR approach, which you're right, it's very unconventional with a lot of D2C brands, unless they're very well capitalized, which is a luxury that not everyone has. What do you feel like you had to say no totally. to in order to justify the spend in PR? Hmm. I mean, it's a good question. I would say like we built out sort of a plan around that. So like we did have some initial investments. So we were really lucky in the sense that we um, did bring on a few strategic partners. Um, so we were able to network kind of just like fall of 2019 and then early 2020, we did do like a small pre-seed round, which allowed us to have that initial launch capital to be able to go to market. And as Jamie was saying, like do some of that branding and then have the PR and, you know, really lay out what that sort of, foundation PL, like what it was going to look like. So I think we built that into that model. Um, and like I said, we were very lucky to have some great partners come on board that really believed in our vision and mission and what we're actually looking to achieve for the longer term. So very lucky in that way. Um, so yeah, I think in that whole time, we could talk to them about the fact that what the role PR played within that piece. And I think, you know, when we look at the other marketing levers and drivers that we have started to use more, like say digital marketing, I mean, um, and like paid. So I say for us, like right now, over 80% of our you know sales are from organic channels. So we are still very much an organic driven business. Um, obviously, we continue to scale. We're testing different things within paid and digital marketing, um, but with all the changes um, in like iOS changes, et cetera, with Facebook, Instagram, et cetera, scaling a business that way is not the same as it used to be. So I think for us, it's like, yes, we are starting to do more of that. 
Um, but we are also testing a whole bunch of other different channels. We also really believe in being omni-channel. So yes, D2C is an important part. And I think why we think D2C is important, not only is it a channel, but really it allows us to directly communicate Bingo. with our customers and have that relationship. And you just yeah. don't get that the same way. But we really still believe in being omni-channel and finding the right strategic partners like Credo, um, who also we have a shared customer who are a great partner, who want to build the brand, who want to educate. But really in the end, it's like, where do our customers want to shop and how do we make these products more accessible to them? Because customers don't think through the lens of like D2C and B2B and like that's not how they think, right? They they want to be able to go somewhere and pick up a product that they they want and it's important for their lives and to be easy and convenient and um, and some of the other values. So I guess a little bit longer answer, but I would just say that, um, yeah, I think it was kind of all built into the plan and then we just keep testing and iterating because it's it's obviously constantly yeah, changing too. I totally agree. And I think the beauty of D2C is that you get to own the customer experience and you get to build stickiness, right? So that way, if you're selling through Credo mm -hmm. and they've got 10 different options on the shelf, you guys are first to market now, but I guarantee you're proving something amazing here. You're not going to be the last. And so the beautiful thing about the D2C totally. experience is you control your connection. Um, and that customer experience. Mm -hmm. I want to talk about these retail partners selfishly because I have heard so much about Credo from all the guests that we have on. Everyone's obsessed. <laughs> what makes them such a good partner? They are really, you know, in the US, the clean beauty authority. I think they have so much credibility in terms of the depth that they, you know, go, they look at their products, not even on the clean space, but also from a, an eco lens on the sustainability side, they really have a thorough kind of process of vetting brands. And, and they also, you know, set a lot of kind of industry changing parameters around, you know, what they think the future of beauty retail should look like. So even though they're, you know, a smaller retail partner, I think they are very influential and the selection of brands that they curate are really kind of the ones um, to know that they believe in as kind of, you know, up and comers in the industry. And also they're great partners in terms of storytelling. Mm. Like at the end of the day, like that's what a small brands need is partners that are willing to tell their story and, and want to, you know, share you know, the founding story and the story of the product and the benefits, you know, we had a great launch with Credo. They are so into sustainability. We had a great, you know, push from them and we ended up being their number two hair care brand out of all of their assortment when we launched. Um, thanks to the support that they gave kind of our, our brand that had just been in market a few months. So, you know, that kind of partnership is really special and really helps, you know, these smaller brands succeed. Oh my gosh. I love it. And it reminds me, we had Alison McNamara on the show, who's the founder of Mara Beauty. And she was talking about how they actually utilized Credo to tell the clean part of their products. Mm -hmm. And she focused on the other, other, other elements of their branding and what the Mara team was putting out as the messaging. And I think it's a really cool strategy of not only having partners that are just going to help you get to a different customer base, but also that are going to be able to tell different parts of your story. Uh, it's super fascinating. I feel like we need to find the founders of Credo and have them on because it's interesting. You do. Stuff. Yeah. Annie Jackson. She's great. <laughs> Amazing. Cool. Um, okay. So let's pivot into some of our quick hit questions. We honestly really need to change the name because um, they're not always <laughs> quick. But um, but let's start off with what trait do you most attribute to your success? Uh, for me, I said, I put two, creativity and empathy. I think being able to kind of 
pick up and perceive things um, that sometimes other people don't see has served me well. Great I guess answer. I would say for, for me, um, I said determination and precision. So maybe back to that island uh, bit, uh, comment, but I think just having ability to really focus um, and persevere and just get a lot of stuff done. Like I think I can just, uh, it's really served me well to stay very uh, productive and um, steadfast. So mm-hmm. yeah. Yep. I'm seeing the personality traits unfold. <laughs> it's only been 30 <laughs> minutes, but I feel like I get it. <laughs> uh... Yeah, you guys get it. <laughs> what gives you guys energy? Yeah, totally. yeah. I was I was gonna say something. Um, building something with lasting positive impact. So more about the mission side. Love that. Amazing. Um, this is one of my favorite ones. What advice do you have for your younger self? Yeah, that's a really good one. I would say that you know. In the past, I was very much always like looking forward, put a lot of pressure on myself, etc. And I think just having a chance to step back and live a little more in the moment and appreciate, you know, the people and the things around you. And by taking that step back, whether it's self-care or I said like appreciation, you can really have a sense of, you know, clarity on, on what you need to do next. Oh, my mm. gosh. Yes. I'm working on that. <laughs> it's hard. Wow. It's a work in progress, but I'm working on my earlier self. (laughs) Yeah, because especially when you have this like end goal in mind, it's so easy to just hyper fixate on that instead of realizing like, oh, a couple years ago, this is actually what I wanted to be doing. And it's hard not to be so forward thinking when you're ambitious. But um, yeah, that's a great one. Mine would be to take more risks and be bolder. I feel like it's something I've learned. Um, as I've gotten older, anytime I've, you know, had something, done something I'm really proud of, it's been terrifying. <laughs> and at the time it's felt like a huge mistake. And then looking back on it, it's been like, that was, that was the right move. So yeah, I would have been even bolder even earlier, but I think I've got there. Oh time. my gosh. I love <laughs> that answer. Can you think back to a time that you should have said yes to something and didn't? Oh, that's such a good question. I think, in, I think, you know, coming out of, of school, out of university, like I, I always was kind of my dreams and my ambitions were always kind of at the cusp of, you know, what other people's would in line with kind of expectations, I guess. And I think as I've gotten older, I've learned to dream bigger and you have to kind of push through that uncomfortable phase. So starting that even earlier would have been even better, but it's something I've learned as mm-hmm. I've gotten older. Mm-hmm. Like nobody, yeah. I don't think anybody, when you look at all the successful people, I don't think anybody, you know, is any in any diff coming from any different starting place. I think people just are willing to take more risk. <laughs> So, mm-hmm. you know, it's the people that are willing to put themselves out there. And obviously there's always the risk of failure, which is terrifying for everybody. But um, that's the only way you're going to get there is to kind of push through that piece. A hundred percent. And I think too, um, it is something that kind of builds once you get more experience and once you get exposed to what other people totally. um, are doing or the types of risks other people were taking. Like I think I started at Shopify right out of university and it was through the exposure of working in a nine to five environment that I saw all the different opportunities for entrepreneurship that I hadn't seen before. And that's what kind of motivated me to start taking more risks once I got exposed to that. Cause you just, you don't know what you don't know. And I think when you're young and all you've seen is, okay, you go to school and then you get a nine to five and then you work your way up the ladder. Um, That's kind of the path you follow. And that's why I think like media like this is so important because when you see other people doing it and you hear their stories and you feel like you have the connection with them, you're like, 
if they can do it, I can do it too. And when you meet them, you're like, this person has, you know, they don't have it all figured out either, but like they're doing it anyway. And that means I can also start. So just insights you get as you get more exposure. Definitely. I actually, that's my advice for myself too. I just did a women's day feature for like the, my job. And, um, and yeah, I remember being 18 years old, getting accepted to Queens and getting accepted to Carleton where I went in Ottawa. And, I didn't want to go to Queens because I didn't want to be the one person that came from New Brunswick and I didn't want to be like the stupidest person in my class because I had like a 92 average and you needed a 90 to get in. And I look back at that and I'm like, that is not what an entrepreneur would have done. You just got to do it. it. Yes, we exactly. <laughs> yeah, you'll never feel ready. <laughs> That's so true. So what is the last <laughs> book that both of you have read? Well, I would say um, a book that I am rereading is actually um, Building a Story Brand. So um, that's just one that I found really insightful. And it just it really allows you to put your customer as like the the hero um, of the story and really motivates them. And then we really just view you know, Everest, for instance, as the guide and how we can make it easier for them to achieve their goals. So I think it's an interesting framework. And so as we've been kind of going, we, we looked at that book actually at the beginning of the Everest journey. And I think now that we've been in market, sort of relooking at it um, is an interesting thing to to kind of go back through that exercise. So that is what I'm reading right now. <laughs> I just read um, Atomic Habits by James Clear. I know that's like I'm probably late to the party for that one, but I just read it. It's a good one. And then another one I just reread recently is like one of my all-time favorite marketing books is Purple Cow by Seth Godin. I don't know if you guys have heard of that one. It's like 20 years old and it was even before like social media, but everything in it is somehow still so relevant. So that is a classic you know, marketing book about about differentiation and kind of standing out that I would Seth Godin is the godfather of marketing. That's yes. why it's still relevant. Yes. He just yeah. gets it. <laughs> totally. He just gets it. Seth Godin, Adam Grant. There's like a handful of them that everything they say, I'm just like, yes. Oh my gosh. Think it. again. Did you read Love it again? Oh, yes. I was like drooling. I It was one of, so I have different books. I have books that I need to like read and annotate that I do at home. And then I have my audible books when I go on my like mental health walks and try to get some steps in. Think again. <laughs> I looked like probably such an idiot walking. I had like mm-hmm. epiphany after epiphany. Adam Grant is so good. So good. And I then probably some books for my kids. <laughs> Gotta add those in for good measure. Yeah. Um, I'm gonna deviate a little bit from our questions because I have one question related to the book topic. Do you find that um that consistently like seeking out books that'll help you grow your business, is that a big lever for you guys in growing it? Or what other ways are you learning? That's yeah. such a good question. And just feel free to jump in as well. Something I've actually just started doing. So I have always been, you know, working, reading books on my free time on like how to self-improve and all that stuff. And actually, funny enough, just in the past like couple of weeks and months, I've actually started to try to focus more on like doing things for pleasure in my spare time Mm -hmm. because the actual grind of like the business gets so tiring. So, you know, finding different books that are maybe fiction books as opposed to always nonfiction and giving myself permission to not always be like pushing myself to learn more or learn faster. Um, It's just been like a new development for me. So I thought that was an interesting thing that just brought up for me. Yeah, actually kind of for me too, in the sense, I would say like, in my past definitely read a lot of like business books and, and yeah, improvement books and marketing books. And, um, although always super inspiring and helpful, 
Um, we actually started a book club during, which Jamie's also a part of, uh, with our friends during COVID as a way to actually connect um, with people and also with some of our friends, even going back to university, um, who weren't in the, you know, in Ontario, they're out west or, or different places. And I think, you know, having some fiction books in there and just having that sense of like, okay, we can have some entertainment and and have some, you know self-care and just like take that time for yourself versus it always being about I think has been helpful but that being said I think you know definitely getting inspired by books definitely um we both I think subscribe to a lot of like different like industry and just general like news (laughs) sort of sources and Mm -hmm. newsletters etc and just getting those like updates and hits and whether it's even like the beauty independence or this that and just reading articles and things that are like newsworthy and um staying up to date is also helpful so and a I, lot love, of I also stuff. love podcasts that's in my mix too so happy to <laughs> love it happy to love do it this one. yeah it is it's it's an interesting balance because I think, yeah, it's great to learn from other people's mistakes or experience of people who are maybe a little further ahead from you. But then it's also how do you create that space to let ideas come to you mm-hmm. and just have a clear mind where you can get more clarity on your own thoughts and opinions. So I, it, that's kind of wanna, why I wanted to ask is how do you find that balance? Have a bunch on the go. <laughs> the mm-hmm. nightstand has, has always a few or... or um... <laughs> through audible too so yeah <laughs> i love audible yeah yeah um okay next question what's one thing you don't understand i don't understand um i think when people you know a lot of people think the concept of like away um and throwing things away is something that i think um is an interesting one so you know when we throw something away and not to be, you know, a downer, but there's always, you know, it's always got to go somewhere. So I think just the realization that people don't understand, like every, you know, shampoo bottle that's ever been created ever still exists somewhere. You know, the one that you used in high school is still somewhere, you know, just because we don't see like a lot of the, the trash that we create or it gets thrown away doesn't mean it's, it's gone forever. It always has to go somewhere. So just the whole concept of something being away and out of sight, out of mind, I think is something people don't think about very often, but has been important for us when we're building Everest. Yeah. Yeah. That is interesting. And actually when I was doing research for this episode um, and just noticing that you can take Everest, like it's travel size mm-hmm. and it's easy to move with, wherever you're going it just made me think of like how many of those little shampoo bottles have I bought in my life that is just so much plastic that like you said I haven't thought twice about I'm just like oh don't need it anymore it's yeah yeah I think it's really cool that you can take Everest with you (laughs) (laughs) yeah and I guess mine would be um you know the fact that you know when you are any person, company, anything is trying to do better, like be better, do better, do something, you often can actually get a lot of critics and people who are finding like the imperfections in that. And I think, you know, no one's perfect and really just trying to, you know, embrace the like the, we say it's like in our case, like imperfect environmentalists welcome, but just the idea of like, don't be critical. It's progress over perfection. And that's what's really going to lead to big change. Um, mm-hmm. And I just I really those naysayers, I think sometimes they were trying to be so perfect. And that's not always accessible to people. And it can actually kind of paralyze, paralyze you know, yeah, um, stop change, too. paralyze change. And so I think that's really important is to see the progress and to be positive and motivate others um, into action. Yeah, that was a big piece of our the brand that we wanted to create with Everest was kind of like 
eco-inclusivity. And I think, you know, we don't need hundreds of people doing it perfectly. We need millions, you know, trying to do a little bit better. And our job is just to make it easier. So that's really what we wanted to build. I love that so much. We adopt a very similar philosophy um, at the company I work for. We have 1% sessions because we're not trying to take someone from zero to 100. We're getting 1% better. And I'm telling you, the opt-in rate for those sessions is through the roof relative to when we would do like standard training. And people actually try to find the one nugget and they actually remember it. Like it's so powerful that incremental change is everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Good stuff. Good okay, stuff. next question on our list. You guys have dropped some pretty solid mm-hmm. brands. We're talking Blue Land Credo. Um, my question for you is, other than your own, what brand are you loving right now? Yeah, I would say for me, one of them is um, Cotton. Um, it's actually part of our Good and Well family. Um, but I would say just the fact that they're just a force for change. Um, they were recently ranked fourth um, in the B Corps North American list for you know top apparel companies with some really good company in terms of like uh, yeah Patagonia, etc. Um, and also just I think going back to the ethos of like. I love their clothes. I wear their clothes. You feel good about it. And you just know that they're doing great work behind the scenes. So I'm a fan. So are we. Yeah. Great one. <laughs> and I'll say in honor of, you know, International Women's Day, there's a ton of incredible, you know, female founded brands that we've had the pleasure of, of getting to know in this journey. So, you know, we love Jenny Bird jewelry. Um, we love Palm hand care. Um, we love, you know, Erin Kleinberg and Cydia, you know, she's a branding creative genius. There's so many, you know, great ones out there. Um, so we love to, to support each other and to learn from guys. Them. This was destined literally everyone that you're talking about are people that we've spoke with, spoken with on the podcast or like are trying to book right now. It's actually hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. It's so the community that's and here we didn't is so great and we're, we're so yeah. happy. Yeah, they're awesome. They're all awesome. Joanna Griffiths from NYX is one of our investors. She's been wonderful. Um, She's unreal. Yeah, there's just such a great community of of women supporting women that we're, you know, has made a huge difference to us. So we're so grateful. Uh, There's something special about women entrepreneurs. I mean, (laughs) women entrepreneurs are great too, but there's just, there's a secret sauce. I don't know exactly what it is, but it's good. It's good. Totally. Totally (laughs) agree. Okay. Final question for you both. Who do you think gets it? Yeah, so I guess, um, actually, Jamie already mentioned her name, but I was going to say Joanna Griffins from Nex. Um, I think, you know, obviously she's one of our investors and advisors, but I think she just really gets it. She was early on, you know, that diversity inclusion, really elevating the voices of real women, um, taking, I really, back to the earlier, you know, believing in this whole idea of profit with purpose, like taking the marketing dollars and putting them to good and really trying to make change. So I think, you know, the brands and the people of, you know, the future, the, the brands that we'll love for the next generation will be really driven by values. Um, and I think she gets that. Cool. Such and I'll give one. a shout out to all of the, you know, kind of people pioneering in the eco space and really doing, you know, clean beauty in a different way. So we love brands like Common Air, um, who also launched at Credo around the same time as us. Um, we love Say, they're doing wonderful stuff as well. So I'm so enthused to see, you know, so much progress in this space and so many incredible brands that are just looming out there. Yeah. Great answer. I know. I think that's one thing we keep learning with this podcast is just how many people actually care about 
making products that work really well and that are good for the environment. And maybe it's just because we pay more attention to it now that we have the podcast, but it just seems like it's growing so quickly and it's so exciting to see. So yeah, Mm. both very good answers. Well, we will wrap up the interview there. Thank you both so much for coming on. It's been great chatting with you and I can't wait to see where Everest continues to go. Okay. Amazing. It's been so much fun. Thank you guys. Okay, you guys, there's no excuse. JB and Jess did all of this in just over a year. The pressure is on. <laughs> That's such a good blueprint for them and, and for everyone else listening to this. It doesn't have to take 10 years to get a business off the ground. We've seen this time and time again. And this is hilarious to me because we literally started our podcast right around the same time as when Everest started. And I see a lot of similarities in how you and I work together, M, and how Jamie and Jess work together. And it's just, yeah. it just feels like kindred spirits, no? Yeah, it totally awesome. does. It totally does. And that was such a fun conversation for me. It just became so real how they've built this from step one to step two and now where they are and where they're going. So definitely a brand everyone should check out. Absolutely. And they're also a Toronto-based brand, so near and dear to our hearts. Um, And if you do want to check them out, check the show notes, check our Instagram. We might have a little something, something for you there. In the meantime, if you liked this episode, there's probably a couple others that you would love if you haven't listened to it yet. Um, Lainey from Say, they mentioned they love Say. Lots of kind of similar concepts there on clean beauty actually done well. Alison McNamara's episode as well. We referenced that in her relationship with Credo and how she markets a clean brand. So those are a couple to check out if you're in the mood to binge some They Get It content. Um, And as always, check us out on Instagram at they.get.it. We love chatting with you guys in the DMs. We just, we love knowing who listens to our podcast because that's something we always ask ourselves. Like, okay, we see the numbers, but who are they? Um, And so join us on Instagram, introduce yourself. We love meeting you. And until next week, have a beautiful week. Bye.